Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer, This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, and welcome to another episode of Stipulation for July 24th, Thursday's episode of Impact. This week, I am joined on Skype via the telephone line by none other than Mr. Cody Dingus Mingus. Hello, Cody Dingus Mingus. Hello, Chris. It's a pleasure to be on Stipulation. I, do you have a different alias you'd rather go by? I was just sticking no, with that's... our old one. <laughs> I was trying to think of some Paul Heyman style introduction, but I couldn't think of one. So Fair for right now, this 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 is my NXT name. When I get called up to the main roster, I'll come up with something better. No, 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 no. If you're gonna have like an NXT name, first of all, it has to have Dylan <laughs> somewhere in the name. You have to have a Dylan yep. in there, and it usually has to be a second first name. So you could be Dylan Jacobs. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Andrew or Samuels, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, NXT man! Did you you didn't get a chance to see it yet? That's what you were saying. No, but I've seen enough reaction that it kind of makes me want, just feel like I should skip this week. Well, you will hear. Let's give all of the listeners to stipulation a little bonus, just a quick uh, NXT review. So it starts off with the Ascension having the same match they've had for. How long? I don't know. An indeterminate amount of time. But they had it against just two people billed as locals this week. I don't know that they even named the guys. Probably not. It, no. I don't like. I don't like dissension. I don't like I, them either. I don't, I don't like the vampire goth, whatever the fuck they are now. You know what I they are. You know what they are. They're the acolytes. They're like a shittier Is that what, version of the yeah. acolytes. The early run or of the, the acolytes. Brood, maybe I thought they were going for like the. Like the the Chris, like when Christian and Edge. Edge were vampires at some point, there's didn't a that happen? Bit, it's essentially yeah. You're right that there's a little bit of that going in there too. Yeah, you had Christian and Edge; they were members of the Brood, but they before the APA was doing like the APA where they were just beer drinking shit kickers. They were originally the acolytes serving under the Undertaker in the late '90s, and they were shit kickers too. They were booked incredibly strong during that period, and that's essentially what. The Ascension is without all that meddlesome talent. Because, you know, the Acolytes were Ron Simmons and John Layfield, or Bradshaw, however you want to dub him. And the Ascension are Connor O'Brien and Rick Victor. A little bit less impressive. See, there's one of those, uh, actually both those guys have two names. Two first name names. Yeah. And I just, it's one of those little things where I enjoy the Wyatts. Not just Bray, but Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. And... Anytime I hear the the Ascension mention, it's like, oh, God, please don't bring them up and then bury the Whites. Well, they're, you know, they're already gone. I feel bad for the Whites, man. How did you feel about the Usos going over the Wyatts at the pay-per-view? It was a great match. That's 
what I feel conflicted about. It was a great match, and part of me kind of thinks it's like, well, you have the Rhodes doing a weird thing, so I don't see them doing anything. And part of me is like, I I wonder if they could just stretch this Uso thing out till Mania. They're not going to do that, obviously. But I feel like the Wyatts should have gone over there. Like they, 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 if they do another match at SummerSlam, the Wyatts have to win the titles. That would They've be my win. assumption, but at the same time, they just lost a two out of three falls match, which feels yeah, that's like the, it that's should be the, the final chapter. I'm not saying it should else, be. Yeah. What else do you do? Like, is this like an Iron Man match? Do they start a, a, a tag team Hell on a Cell? You know, a tag team Iron really Man crazy? match might be really interesting. I, I could see that. That would be a way to flesh out what could potentially be a kind of thin card at SummerSlam. And just have more big matches for longer periods of time, which I almost always advise in cases of big shows. The fewer matches, longer matches. Let them tell a story. And in the case of the Usos and the Wyatts, it feels like, especially with Luke Harper, there's just a little bit more in his moveset and everything that we can see. And I really like the Usos. They they have won me Mm -hmm. over. I went from being kind of... Meh, to I, I buy into them. I, I like them as tag team champions. I think they won everybody over. I think they. I think everyone was kind of, who the hell are these guys? What the hell are they doing? And I think they really won everyone over. They're, they're currently the best tag team WWE has right now, given that the other team that I would rank as the best, the Rhodes brothers, are doing. Well, I enjoy Stardust. It has, like, not... <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't materialized into anything substantive, you know. Stardust it's, it's just... is Cody Rhodes' Willow. Yes, yes, and there it, it'd be different if they were having a freak show off with the Wyatts over the titles or something like that, where even the Wyatts are like, "Who the hell are these guys?" But they're just they've been fighting right back. So, and then on Monday they just had a weird nonsensical promo that kind of hinted at going after the titles, which is what they did on the pay-per-view as well and I, yeah. I we rebooted these characters or we made this big character shift with Cody Rhodes that was kind of done on all of the B shows like you had parts of this story being told on main event and shit so that's how focused yeah. WWE has been on this story tells you a lot when it's being when the story's being told on Smackdown or main event you learn a lot real quickly about where they feel about this and I just like it's weird to me. Cody Rhodes is a money guy. Cody Rhodes is an intercontinental champion level guy. Maybe even a, a guy. Bag over. Yeah, maybe even a guy. He got a mustache who, over. You know, I had the, yeah, guy, the mustache, yeah. man. Oh, the mustache was great. I, just weird, man. It's just weird. It's so weird to think where Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow are a calendar year later. They had a really hot feud and a really hot angle that, if you wanted to, you could have been perpetuating throughout this entire year with the Rhodes brothers and then this constant thorn in Cody's side of Damian Sandow. But instead, Damian Sandow has to do shitty impressions of Lance Stevenson, Paul Revere, and LeBron James, and Cody Rhodes is Willow. Yeah. I'm sorry, Stardust. I, I, I yeah. I know we're kind of all over the place, and we'll get to TNA, but I one thing I will say in praise of TNA that I think WWE struggles with. TNA seems to have a better handle on how to push multiple people at once and keep them all over in a hot way and in a way that you could put 
a lot of the guys in TNA in a main event, and they would be okay. Like, you don't necessarily have to have your guys that are fighting for the title be in the main event. WWE has guys that they could do the same with, but they they constantly get scared when anybody starts to get a reaction that rivals the people that they want in their main event. You know, Dean Ambrose is one, Sandow is one, Cesaro is one. These are guys that you could have in a match. You could have had the Usos in the main event of that pay-per-view, and I don't think people would have really blinked an eye. No, because that no but it's, it's just the... The egos that you have to assuage in John Cena, in Randy Orton, in Triple H to a certain extent because he's the one booking his fans. And he wants the crowd to feel this level of intensity that he wants them to feel for certain angles and not at one iota more. So if you get start getting too attached to Dean Ambrose or Cesaro, that's not something that Hunter's so on board with. And... I think that it really does come to the detriment of the overall product because they just get lost. They don't know who to, they don't know how to push the hot people at the right times. Case in point, prime example is Daniel Bryan. They were six to nine months too late on the Daniel Bryan push, and now he has a you know career altering neck injury, and they didn't get the equity out of him. They left a lot of money on the table. Oh, yeah. They left a lot were, of money. They were. There were even several years late because he was getting that reaction at WrestleMania 28. Sure, you know, sure. On a card that you had The Rock versus John Cena for the first time, you had The Undertaker versus Triple H with Shawn Michaels. You had CM Punk and Chris Jericho. The guy who was getting reactions before the show even started was Daniel Bryan. And it took them this long. And then, yeah, as you said, he got hurt. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Talk about money left on the table. Yeah, it's. I know that Joe Lanza on the Voices of Wrestling Network, which we are a part of, has made the point that he no one has left more money on the table than Vince McMahon. Or, I guess the, the way he usually puts it, and I like it, is that for as much money as Vince McMahon has made, he has left at least as much money on the table, probably more. Yeah. Which yeah. it's just it's stunning. Like I think that's what's so frustrating with WWE is yeah they're the number one company, but. They could be putting out a much, much better product. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to hit on the NXT show. Actually, there's a few things. Um, Mojo mm-hmm. Raleigh, it appears that the push for Mojo has ended. Thank God. Already? Oh, Already. dude, he got, he got <laughs> squashed by Tyler Breeze. I, I oh, mean, wow. squashed by Tyler so Breeze. So he's not hype anymore. No, dude, he's all hype. That's, that's the problem. I think that he, he got <laughs> hyped, and I don't think he understood the meaning of the word. Maybe... Maybe that was just a cruel joke. They were playing with that guy. <laughs> they told him that we're going to hype you up and you're going to be great and everything like that. And that get him really excited. And then it's just kind of like, nope. nope. Uh, Mojo, you, just, from you don't understand what hype means. It should have been, I don't get jazzed. I stay jazzed. You know, that's that, yeah, that doesn't have that double meaning. It's just kind of lame. Uh, so anyways, Mojo Raleigh got squashed. Um, Kalisto has a tag team partner now. He's got Sin Cara. And I want to like this, but I just don't feel like WWE gets the Lucha style. And if you were someone who's actually a Lucha fan and you turned on NXT and they're like, here are our luchadors, you'd be like, these are lame-ass luchadors, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I remember when they did a – you probably don't remember because you weren't necessarily back into it when this happened. They did a big press conference when they signed the original Sin Cara, and, like, it was, like, a whole part of this big thing. Sort of like what they're doing with Kenta right now. I was about to segue into that. Where do you think Kenta is going to go? 
Uh, I think they want to try to get him over. I think it's just like the Sinkara thing. I think they want to get, they want to penetrate back into these markets that they've sort of lost. But look at the last like star that they had from Japan, who was in the company. You know, when Yoshitatsu. Oh, you're referring to Yoshitatsu as a star. That's, <laughs> I got confused there for a second. <laughs> okay, he star was a mid, yeah, he was a mid carter over in Japan. Was my understanding. Mm-hmm. But seemed like an able hand in the ring. I, I don't feel like he got adequate burn, and they gave him like lame ass theme music and just this lame Shofunaki gimmick of I don't speak English very well. Which it's just like it's frustrating to see Japanese wrestlers portrayed like that. Because I don't know, it just makes him look like buffoons. I hate that. I really hate yeah. that. I he's gonna have to change his style up. I don't know how that's gonna affect him, given that you saw with like two of the most over guys in the company in recent years, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk. CM Punk especially like borrowed a lot of his style from Kenta, just with the slaps and the everything like that, and the kicks, and of course his finisher, the GTS, and then Bryan with his knee. I don't know how much that's going to like, and I'm sure Kent is like a capable guy. I've only seen a couple of his matches, so I can't really judge him, you know, but when you get some of these styles with some of these guys where it's like, these are the moves they always hit and you take that away from them. They might, you know, we've seen it before. They kind of flounder, you know? Yeah, they're used to a certain pacing of their matches and hell, if you're trying to bring back in the Japanese audience, they want to see a certain style of Kenta match only with some of the WWE talent. And as a result, if, if you know, you have Kenta vastly change his moveset, he finishes, I don't know, let's just say with a figure four or something. That's not what the Japanese fan is used to seeing Kenta do. And yeah, yeah I, I have concerns. I'm still, I'm ultimately very hopeful. We've got Kenta, we've got Steen, we've got Devitt. The horizon looks good for this company. It's just going to be, frankly, probably getting through WrestleMania. All, yeah, but, all three of those guys you just mentioned, too. You know what that tells me? Sami Zayn is going to have a lot of great matches on NXT coming right, up with right. all three of those guys. Because you know they're bringing those guys in. If they're not bringing Steen in, especially given his run in ROH with uh, Sami Zayn. yeah. Yeah. And just and also Kenta and everything. If they're not bringing them in to make Sami Zayn like the Daniel Bryan of NXT, then they're they're already out of the gate. They're gonna fall flat on their face. He's Sami Zayn is the perfect guy to put in matches with those guys and introduce them to the audience. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think that Sami Zayn, if they would just let him have his ska music and his ole 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 chant could be even more over. Instead, we're getting the Jim Johnson pseudo-ska theme with horns done on keyboards thing that they're trying to get over, and I just don't get it. I mean, if you're going to do anything, you know what I want to hear? I want Sami Zayn's theme song to be Knock on Wood, I think by Less Than Jake. You know mm. you know the song I'm talking about? Mm, no. Man, I, I know if you heard the hook, like it goes, bum ba da bum ba Bum, ba, da, bum, ba, da, da, da. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I'm yeah, sure everyone appreciates my stirring <laughs> rendition of horns, but yeah, I, I want to hear him um, have that as his theme song. Something that's familiar. I mean, it worked with punk, and I do think that when you were trying to push upper tier talents or establish someone with some gravitas, that like for I think what it was like forty grand to get the rights to cult the personality, I'm sure oh, it would be wow. like. Yeah, it wasn't that much. I mean, it was it was an investment, but you have to look at return on investment. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's that's what I was because Daniel Bryan was asked about uh, having the final countdown as his theme song once, and he said that unless WWE was willing to shell out the fifty grand or whatever, it probably wouldn't be happening anytime soon. So that's where I came up with that figure. Yeah. Uh, all right, you want to get into the go-home show for Destination X? I'm calling it a go-home show, even though we've got, like, a free preview next week. This is definitely booked like that. Yeah, yeah, this definitely felt like a go-home show. Yeah, I mean, it was It was what it was, all right? So, first, we start off with, is Dixie going to go through a table video package? I have nothing to say about this, but is Dixie going to go through a table? Then, well, we have Bobby Roode versus MVP to open up the show. This was a big mistake, in my opinion. Mike Tanay claims that the show is sold out. The crowd does look good, and they seem very hot and ready to go for the opening of this show, which is why they were probably sorely disappointed after Bobby Roode came out, and they were very excited to see Bobby. And I have as a note, and this is, I only got to watch the episode once this week, and I, I just wrote right here, haven't even seen the match. This is already a waste of Bobby Roode. Because it's dumb to have a guy who's this over come out as the opening match of this show, particularly when we have a match in a little bit here that is a complete, perfect opener for a show. So, the show starts, and MVP won't come out because he's backstage with Kurt Angle. They're talking. Angle goes, we're going to have the match. It's going to start back here. It's going to start in the ring when he should be going, hey, man, I've got a show to run. You need to get your ass out to the ring. I don't care where this match goes, but you need to be out in the ring. Uh, It doesn't matter. Bobby Roode decides I'm going to leave from ringside where people can see me and go backstage where they cannot. And so now this New York crowd is sitting on their hands waiting for the return of Bobby Roode and MVP who brawl backstage. Bobby Roode has a new tagline. Did you catch this, Cody? Uh, No, what was it? Oh, man, you're going to love this. You're going to want the T-shirt. You want to suspend me? You want to suspend me? Oh, my God. Yeah, he yells it at MVP <laughs> uh, multiple times. At one point, gestures to the crowd, arms up, just like Stone Cold, screaming, you want to suspend me? Man, get me that Bobby Roode t-shirt. Get me that fucking Bobby uh, Roode t-shirt. At this point, I want to say, hey, Russo, let's fucking have a match to open up a show. I don't know if he listens to this show, but I do know that he writes TNA. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So, here's an idea. You're in New York, you want these tapings to go well, and you don't want the crowd to fall off for the rest of the show. Crazy notion. Start with a goddamn match. A goddamn match. And and here's another thing. Even in the Attitude Era, these brawls that went in the back and everything like that were not as hot as any match that happened in the arena where fans could see them. Right. Right, and they would do it on the Tron, and, like, that helps. I But they TNA didn't really have that going because it's the Hammerstein Ballroom. So I just 
like I, I really scratch my head at the booking of this. Mike Tenay makes a weird and oddly insouciant comment that you can do a cheap shot and it'd still be legal. I thought that that was just weird and oddly observant. Kind of meta. A, a pro wrestling meta moment. Then we get the worst run-in ever by Kenny King. Well, actually, no. 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 I'm going to take that back. The second worst <laughs> run-in on this show uh, by Kenny King, who comes out, hits Bobby Roode one time, and then just starts gesturing and backing up. Way to help out MVP. He gets ambushed by Eric Young, and... The match once again breaks down to one-on-one. I have a question. If this is the best match that MVP can muster, and he's working with like a knee and a half right now, so I'm going to give him credit. But if this is the best match that MVP can muster, why not have Kenny King have this match with Bobby Roode? Have them have a competitive match with MVP ringside and give Kenny King a much-needed win with a big assist from MVP? That, to me, would be a much more satisfying booking to this match. Instead, here's the finish. The finish is an ugly sharpshooter following multiple chair shots to MVP's injured knee. Let me ask you this, Cody. If Bobby Roode was the heel and MVP was the babyface, wouldn't this make more sense as a finish? Going after the injury... And then putting them in a sharpshooter, which was ugly as shit, by the way. Like, as bad as some of Sting's <laughs> yeah, Scorpion Yeah, that was. Death. That was pretty bad. Yeah, he just sort of, like, his hands are completely lost. And I'm what, like, do you, what do you think Bret Hart would give that? Uh, 4 out of 10. <laughs> I mean, it's... They're going with... They're treating MVP like they did with Heyman and Punk, you know, where it doesn't matter how much Punk brutalizes the guy, people are still going to cheer. That's how they're treating MVP. My whole thing was... Is it really wise for MVP to put this much stress on his leg? Like, like seriously, like, has he had the surgery yet? Is it recovering? Because it, it seemed like for a guy who's supposedly, like, legit injured, he's moving around a lot and doing a lot of stuff. Like, he mentioned on Jim Ross' show that he was doing a lot of stuff that he really shouldn't, and I think this is what he was talking about. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, you were just as stupid as Kurt Angle ever was. You are just as stupid. Your leg is going to fall off if you keep doing this crap before it is fully healed. You dumbass. MVP, I love you, but stop it. No, stop I'm it. with you. I want to see more of you. I want to see more of you, not less. Stop it. The thing with meniscal tears is that there are two ways that they can go about dealing with them. One has a much quicker recovery time, but results in sort of diminished returns over time. And that's where they actually, you you tear your meniscus, they go in and they arthroscopically cut it. Dwayne Wade of the Miami Heat had that happen, but he is like 32 or 33 and is really having his career cut down and diminished in serious ways because he did that so that he could get back for the playoffs, I think in 2006 or whatever. And he got the title that year. Uh, Yeah, that was 2006. I'm having Dallas Mavericks flashbacks. I apologize. (laughs) So anyways, the point being, if you do the snip, you can get back to action within like four weeks the the upshot of it is that you now have less of a meniscus and over time you're gonna have bone on bone and you're gonna need to do like a gel insert like where they actually in, like inject the gel into your knee and stuff and kind of continuing yeah, treatments yeah. through the life 
Now, what MVP could have had done is like a meniscal repair, and I don't remember how those get done, but they actually now have a repair procedure. But my understanding is that takes a bit longer because the thing with the meniscus is that blood doesn't really flow to that part of the bone, so it's hard to get healing action happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, like that's that is my understanding of. That's my understanding of meniscus and meniscal related things. So if MVP had the snip, I am worried because of everything you just said about Kurt Angle. You're going to have diminishing returns over time and you're cutting your career short. But he probably is okay working this. And it didn't actually seem like this match required a hell of a lot of him. It wasn't like there was, this was a suplex fest. This match yeah. and all the gimmickry did really protect MVP it just goes back to what I what we're both probably in agreement on which is if this is the best match that MVP can do right now just have Kenny King in the ring he needs the in-ring time and the establishing time more anyways and I still think that the way they have booked him over the last several months has made him come off as a hapless dupe give give him a win Kenny give Kenny a dirty win yeah give Give him him a a dirty win over Bobby Roode and then have Bobby Roode next week or whatever next couple weeks just freaking kill kenny just to have that happen oh my god you killed kenny (laughs) you know just he has he won at all since they started this stable i i don't know that kenny king has won period since he has been in the company i i have to go back and look at that he may have a stray win over t gray uno but I am not aware that kenny king has ever won on impact he may have gotten a win on explosion at some point if he has a win, if he has a win, somebody let me know. Next, yeah, we move yeah, to Jeff Hardy and Bobby Lashley recap. I don't want to say this wasn't compelling, but I did check my work emails. That's about, <laughs> about all I have to say about this. I mean, we saw this match last week. It turns out Jeff Hardy didn't win. It was a recap of the plethora of back bumps that Jeff Hardy took last week, and it made me uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We then cut to Dixie talking backstage. She says that she is going to stand over Bully's dead body. She's going to kill Bully. He's going to be dead. She's going to stand up. Which, I guess, considering all Bully, all Bully does is dream about hurting Dixie Carter and putting a woman through a table. Maybe that is the appropriate response. I'm not really sure. I just really hate the tone in both of their promos in this thing. I just... Speaking publicly about premeditated murder. Um, I'm going to kill him. Not, I'm going to kill him. Not the smartest thing, Dixie. I know you're not that smart anyway, but uh, I, uh, I just just put her through a table and take her off my damn TV already, please. Uh, I know. Please. Insofar I have as been we're gonna get there. sick of her since before the AJ Styles stuff started, and that seems like it was years ago now. Oh, my God. I... If the authority lasts as long as Dixie Carter does, I will stop watching WWE. <laughs> oh, no, the authority stuff. Ha- Man, I don't want to bring it all back to WWE again. But, boy, the authority stuff, I am so fucking done with it. I don't care that Stephanie turns into good performance here or there. I'm just so done with Hunter and Stephanie being these focal points of a show, and they don't wrestle, and they don't do anything. They just draw heat on themselves, and usually at the expense of other people. Like, with Hunter, I still remember when he just essentially embarrassed Rob Van Dam 
on SmackDown and Raw when he was like, man, I've always wanted Rob Van Dam to say dude at me. I, I just, I can't stand the authority stuff. I'm really done with them. Uh, all right, so back to Impact. Jeff Hardy comes out. He comes out. He is high-fiving everyone, selling the back injuries, stopping, you know, touching. He the- was wearing a Willow shirt. He was-, he was wearing a Willow shirt. That was the first thing that popped out of me. It's like, why are you wearing a Willow shirt? Man, this is the look- faces of Hardy. You're just going to have to accept that Ugh. all those years of hanging out with Mick Foley up in the stands when Mick Foley was talking about his Hell in the Cell matches and stuff for WWE things, that just rubbed off on him. And Hardy now is going to wear makeup. He's going to be Willow sometimes. He's going to do crazy shit. It's all for you. Deal with it, bro. And we get an intro of Matt Hardy, who comes out and acts kind of douchey to the crowd. It was really contrasting to Jeff Hardy, who very slowly made his way down the aisle and was high-fiving everyone and you know, saying what's up and just being a babyface. Matt Hardy comes out and like some people try to touch him, and he sort of pulls his arm away. He's more intent on making the version one logo than he is on interacting with the fans, which, dude, you're the returning hero. Fucking embrace the crowd, bro. Embrace the crowd. Matt, I've got another note here that Matt just doesn't have the natural connection with the fans. He does a promo and his pacing is weird. It just, Matt Hardy, you can tell, is built to be a heel. In the way that Jeff is totally built to be a babyface and to be loved by the crowd and wants that kind of naturally... Matt sort of hates the crowd naturally. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, they're out there to challenge the Wolves. The Wolves come out looking spiffy. Uh, one of them's got a vest. The other one's got a skinny tie. Skinny ties are in, my man. It's 2014. <laughs> I've got a note here that the new TNA rebrand, if that's even happening, needs to be about tag wrestling. We were talking about WWE and NXT and how WWE is really floundering with Fresh tag teams and fresh tag team angles. That's not a problem that TNA has right now if they choose to exploit this the right way. They've got the Dudleys in the mix. They have the Hardys in the mix. They have Bram and Magnus in the mix. You have the sort of schmozzy tag team of either Gunner and Sam Shaw or Gunner and Ken Anderson in the mix. You have Sonata and Storm in the mix. You have a lot of tag teams and a lot of different directions you can go to get fresh tag team angles. And one thing I would love to see every week on Impact is a shitload of tag team wrestling. I think it's just a great way to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely be in favor of... uh just a wrestling promotion that kind of focuses more on that because we started to get like a resurgence of that, especially like a different style we hadn't seen in a while with like the shield where it was like three man, you know, and seen that in forever. Yeah. And they quickly moved away from it. And there's even rumors that they're going to break up their other little, like one of the token heel teams they have in Ryback. So it's like, what the hell guys, you can't just commit to keeping this thing going. So if TNA could like find a way to like, I mean, they have a great team in the wolves, you know, if you could, I don't think Hart, I don't think Matt Hardy's like whole contract. I think his whole contract is so he can come and go as he pleases. Cause that's what he wants right now. But Maybe a team of like Bully Ray and Jeff Hardy would kind of be interesting with the contrasting styles a little bit and size and everything. Yeah, you don't have but. to have Devon and Matt full time. You can definitely have a little bit of Bully and Jeff Hardy just sort of 
filling that space, occupying that as the tag legends every so often. But yeah, I, I in in spot sessions, in spot locations, I just absolutely love having the Hardys available as a resource and having the Dudleys available as a resource. I, I think that that's great. It elevates TNA. I mean, the real coup, if they could pull it off, would be to poach the Young Bucks back from New Japan Pro Wrestling and get them back in and be able to run the Wolves versus Bucks program. I think that that is the one that everyone want, wants to see. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the one everybody was expecting, too. Are you having a little bit of a power surge over there? <laughs> it sounded like uh, I just got electrocuted or something there for a second. All right. Um, I like the mutual respect angle too. I want. I wanted to throw that in. I like. Uh, I like having just. We're not going to attack each other. We're going to have a match to see who's the best. That's what we're here to do. I like those angles. I think they work. Sometimes, actually, not sometimes. Most of the time, wrestling is best done in simple, broad strokes, simple stories told well executed well in the ring it's not that hard of a formula if you do it right it's fucking awesome it's just uh when you get vince russo and that sort of we're gonna have a viagra on a pole match or whatever that's when shit falls the fuck off all right we cut back to austin aries backstage and he runs down the options and a whole bunch of shit and just says that he's gonna change the equation that's not gonna happen spoiler alert next we get the bromance in the ring, and the bromance fucking rule, and I, oh, I totally forgot to mention them in the tag team mix. The bromance have been yeah. doing fucking quality, quality lower card work all year. They do just a great job putting them over. Robbie's not afraid of clouds anymore, which is good, because apparently the menagerie is sort of like half on TV at this point. I, the, Crazy Steve was on last week. That's not fair. But Robbie's been doing reality TV. Robbie is dangerously close to having this crowd all over the bromance, but DJ Z grabs the mic and gets the heat back. And uh, you know, Zima Ion, underrated talent, man. ZJ Z is a way underrated talent. He is not being used the, to the fullest extent that I would like to see him used as douchebag X division champion. I can't wait for that run. and I'm hoping that it happens. And, yeah, yeah. But first, we're going to certainly have Loki in the mix here. We get the return of Loki. This should have been the opening match. This is totally what should have been the opening match because we get this big return. Loki looks great in this return. I have to say that if Loki is going to be around for a while and Samoa Joe keeps being pouty bastard and kind of doesn't get his shit together. I could see Loki scratching that Samoa Joe itch and people kind of forgetting about Joe real quick if Loki is able to turn in these long-ass matches that are good because his striking and hitting and just no-nonsense style I think appeals to the same type of fan that Joe's classic no-nonsense beat-the-shit-out-of-you style did. Yeah, I can go ahead and squash that and say I think this is a one-night-only thing. Is it really? Yeah, I think at least for right now, they might try to sign him later on, but I'm pretty sure this is like a free for a New York thing. I think it was, hey, you're in the area. Why don't you come on down? He's got a weird relationship with the con- uh, the company then because like he was on TNA Explosion like five or six weeks ago doing like a big backstage segment with EC3 and everyone. They've got a weird relationship with so much of their talent right now, though. That's true. So many of their talent. MVP, like doesn't have like an actual contract that he signed. He has like a verbal agreement type thing. And then uh, 
there's a couple other guys. I mean, Angle let his contract expire, you mm-hmm. know, because he's trying to go back home. So, yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of these talents they have kind of weird. And then, and then Matt, like we said before, Matt's contract is weird. So, Loki, yeah, like you said, Loki would be kind of nice to have back in, but I don't know if that's going to happen. It's also weird with given all the talent they cut and some of these guys they brought back. I wonder if that's kind of why they cut some of that other talent is so they could get some of these names that people remember more from the i guess the golden days of tna i guess if you want to say that say it that way no i think that's fair they they certainly have had points in time where they have had great runs and you can find really really great tna matches i actually uh i was watching samoa joe in like his early run versus liger this this week and that was really great and of course you can always point back to the classic Samoa Joe versus Chris Daniels versus AJ Styles match which is as good of a match in the last decade as any I mean certainly if you were going to make a list of like the top 20 matches I think you'd have to throw that on there so yeah. I, I mean I like that this was this was a good match I felt like this established low key for the long term just the way Tanae and Taz were talking about it um it, we just it was a good match. It ended with a fisherman driver for the W after essentially Loki just beat the shit out of Z for a minute. Z got a little bit of offense in, but not much. We then go backstage. Gunner and Sam are talking about the crazy people they have seen because they're in New York City, you see. And there's lots of crazy people, <laughs> and fucking Sam Shaw should know. I, it's just like so weird that of, of all the things that these two guys could be talking about, crazy people is the thing that Sam Shaw and Gunner are talking about. Anderson walks up, says he doesn't trust Sam Shaw, and Sam Shaw bows up to Anderson and goes, someday you will trust me, Ken Anderson. I don't know why the fuck Sam Shaw gives a fuck about getting Ken Anderson on his side. Does not make sense. This whole angle doesn't really make a lot of sense. I kind of have a bad feeling that where all this is going is Gunner's going to snap. Oh, yeah, no, I, I feel like this ends with Gunner going heel. Yeah, he keeps mentioning, like, how his buddy had PTSD and went crazy and died or whatever like that, and I just, okay, so he's going to go nuts then. Is that is that what's going to happen here? It's like, uh... Well, actually, too, in addition to that, Gunner has talked a lot about having a friend, but that in that classic way of, I have a friend who drinks too much and beats his wife. Like, when you talk like that, you're really referring to yourself, but you're not comfortable with doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm wondering if we're going to find out that Gunner is a head case as well, and we're going to get a face-to-heel turn, which is what should have happened with, like, Magnus, but we never really had that. Like, Magnus just went from being heel to more heel. Mm-hmm. We come back. We're going to get Bram and Magnus versus Gunner and Anderson here in a second. Taz talks up the tag team division, which, again, I am looking for signs of hope. I am looking for reasons to believe that this New York show was not just ECW Nostalgia Fest, that when they were talking about a rebrand or a relaunch, that this is a real part of that. And I hope it is. God, I hope it is. Because theoretically, you've got a shitload of great teams that can have a lot of great matches. You could have a tag tournament. That would be really great. Seriously, more tag team wrestling. I beg of you. Um, in the middle of this match here between Bram and Magnus and Gunner and Anderson, like we get a bit of Bram and Gunner and I just felt like I would be interested in seeing a bit of Bram versus Gunner 
because they're both kind of crazy. You have, you know, Gunner with the PTSD thing, and then you have Bram, who's kind of an unhinged character as well, but from a different angle. And I thought that there was just good chemistry there. Um, what else do I have? I've got, I've got this, a little rant on Moneyball. Moneyball. The thing that TNA is going to have to do if they want to stay competitive, especially as they're having to slash budgets and everything, and they have, you know, this weird relationship with higher-end talents, they need to get Moneyball fines. Um, For those of you who have never read the book or don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about Moneyball, long story short, back around the early 2000s, the Oakland Athletics were a pretty shitty team. They still go through stints of being pretty shitty. But a general manager named Billy Bean and a bigger manager, um, they came up with a concept of looking at talent differently and trying to find high-level talent guys or maybe guys who don't have all five tools but have four tools or three tools that they do very well and get them real cheaply. So there were just a number of guys. Eric Chavez was one. There's, there's a lot of guys who were in this. Um, oh, God. There's a guy, Scott Hatterberg who was an injured catcher. They ended up retooling him as a first baseman. And for a couple of years, he was, for the money, like the best hitter in baseball just because of his on-base percentage and everything. So why am I telling you all this shit about baseball? Because TNA has managed to get what I would consider money ball pickups. The first guy I would point to and the top guy I would point to is Ethan Carter III. This is a guy who WWE had on their roster... John Cena even thought highly of him, but the company never was able to find anything good to do with him. He was known as Derek Bateman at that point. They never found anything really good or interesting to do with Derek Bateman, and all the tools and the personality was there. It's just WWE has guys that they are intensely focused on regardless of return on investment, that they will always be focused on regardless of return on investment. The, the Miz would be a good example. John Cena and Randy Orton would be others. And so a guy like Derek Bateman fell through the cracks. Well, TNA, Dixie Carter, they were able to see this, this guy, realize that he was a talented guy, and he was actually thinking about becoming a paramedic again and going back to school to do that. But they pulled them out of that, and they are like, hey, you want to work for this company? And they, have found to make, they found a way to make this guy a top-of-the-card, upper-mid guy. And I feel like they've done that with Bram as well. I think that these guys are money ball picks. And if this company is going to be successful, they've got to get a few more guys just like this. Because you can't just bring out out the ghosts of ECW at every chance. I'm sorry, Tommy Dreamer fans. I'm sorry, Great Muda fans. These guys, there's not a lot of tread left on their tires anymore. And it's okay. They have great matches that you can go back and watch for posteriority. Yeah. But I don't need to see another great Muda match. It's just, it's one of those things. It's like, guys, the streak's over. Undertaker laid down for the next guy at 30. These other guys need to do the same. It's, It's time. It's time to let it go. Yeah, <laughs> it's I'm a younger guy. I'm in my 20s, early 20s and everything like that. So I'm kind of new to the party when it comes to a lot of these attitude era guys. But it, it, it's 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 time to let it go. It, it's Undertaker was like, OK, I'm, I'm done. It Muda and these guys, it's you had your run. It's great. But it, <sighs> and it's so awesome. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who's almost 30 and I can say that as a fan 
it is so exciting to be in a YouTube era. Man, I remember when YouTube like first became a thing, and I was like, yeah. "Hey, man, why don't I why don't I watch some wrestling?" And I was able to like look up. I don't even know what I looked up. I think it was like a Rey Mysterio or Dean Malenko match, and I was too. Yeah. YouTube so... was a WWE network before the WWE network. Yeah, you know they, they've 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 since pilfered a lot of that stuff off of there, but you can still find. Yeah, there's it. other places to find it. There's yeah, other places yeah, to yeah. find it. Our fav- one of our favorite places. Yes, <laughs> we we have, we have we have we have places. But I also like I like I have a you know pass to the WWE network. I like the WWE network when it works. Uh, I, I'm going to definitely put an underline underneath the when it works. When I have to watch NXT and I can't fucking load it, uh, I don't like it so much. But, I, you know, I like the WWE Network, and I just think it's great as a wrestling fan that you can really steep yourself in history in a way that you never could before. And yet I am always kind of flummoxed by, like, WWE's approach to his- wrestling history, which is it never fucking happened. It's so weird because in the 90s, you couldn't go back so easy unless you went to Blockbuster Video and rented Survivor Series 93 or whatever. In 1997, that was the only way you were going to see old shit is you just rent it from the video store. But, yeah, I know that's how old I am, Cody. I used to go to Blockbuster and fucking rent all the the VHS cassettes of wrestling. From- hey, I did too. Yeah. I, I, I'm in my early 20, I'm not that young. Yeah. I'm 23, yeah. so I remember. I remember still going to Blockbuster. Like I was young, but no, it was <sighs> great, man. Like I remember those Saturday nights of just you get like three, and you're like, I'm gonna watch so much wrestling tonight. And it was all pay per view events, so it was fucking good wrestling yeah, too. Yeah, you could go on a really great good wrestling binge. I, no, I just, what were you gonna say? I just wanted to say something about all EC3 there. Like one of our favorite guys, both of ours. Mm-hmm. I just I just want to look at WWE letting them go and do our favorite thing when we talk about how stupid they are. Stupid, 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 stupid. Stupid, his, stupid, stupid, stupid. His, I think it was last week, his little bit with the crowd where he did the, you can't wrestle, I disagree. You can't wrestle, I'm very good. And he did, oh, that, that was brilliant. And it just, the, the, the silly geese, I mean, you and oh. Brian, made fun of that i love that i love that no no the 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 thing that i like about ethan carter the third Derek bateman michael huffer whatever you want michael hutter whatever you want to call him is it seems like no matter what the space is if it is a 30 second backstage promo if it is 15 minutes on explosion you can give this guy infinite run and he is funny, entertaining, weird. He's got that Tim and Eric sense of humor that I guess really appeals to guys our age. And I, I just think he's great. Like, I loved his promo this week where he goes, I, I am the streets. The streets of Boca Raton. That shit was funny. What was also funny, but for completely different reasons, is everything that fucking Rhino says. And Rhino goes, cops break up street fights. Tonight, there are no cops which I think should have been the name of this episode, A Night Without Cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They were, all, they were all at WWE arresting Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, they were all very, That's very busy. That's where they all went. <laughs> oh, NYPD, where are you now? Need a little bit of stop and frisk for uh, Dixie's Rhino, posse. Rhino. Rhino, dude. Fucking Rhino. Don't talk. No, don't talk, talk a lot. Ever. Talk a lot. All, talk all the fucking time. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. 
I do not know what you were talking about. Uh, so the Bram and Gunner match, we're going back to this. Like, there's like not a lot to say about this match. Let's talk about this the became finish. a fucking mess because it does. Sam Shaw came out right, right, and then and then fucking Abyss. Uh, and if, if there's anything I could do without in wrestling anymore, it is guys, big guys, that have a oh. I'm the devil's favorite demon. I'm not talking about anyone like specific at all here coming out and fucking matches up. Please, please stop it. Stop it. It hurts, Chris. It hurts me when this keeps happening in both shows. They don't. I just want to finish, man. Like, you know what I miss? Especially like on Raw. Hell, actually on Impact as well. Give me the work rate special match. I want one. One an episode. Yes. That is all yes. I ask for. Give me one good match. You can do the shenanigans. You can subject me to Hunter and Stephanie talking. You you can subject me to long segments of men talking. But I want one match that I can hold on to and say, was, that was fucking cool. I want to revisit that. Was Sam that. Shaw's run-in the other run-in that you were talking about? Yes, the worst this, this is the worst run-in. He just took a hit. Yes, what the hell right, was that? Right, exactly, exactly. He comes in, bows up, goes, come on, and then Bram just fucking hits him. And it makes no sense. The psychology is completely bizarre. Like, I guess in Sam Shaw's mind, in the character's mind, he's going to prove to Ken Anderson, who, I don't know why he needs to prove anything to Ken Anderson. Fuck Ken Anderson. Why does he need to prove anything to Ken Anderson? Why does he need to prove it to Christy Hemme? The freaking, the poor girl, who he was like, oh, that's what's missing. He was not stalking and trying to get Ken Anderson's pants. He was trying to get into Christy Hemme's pants, and they've completely dropped that angle. It's all so weird and stupid. So Sam Shaw, in an effort to prove that, I don't know what, that he's an idiot, gets hit with a piece of metal. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) Abyss comes out, and this makes the matchup now four on two, and this is going to end with the heels standing strong, which makes every single babyface here look so fucking weak. I I, I hated this. just, Just dumb. Just dumb. Like, it, the Abyss makes the save, but, like, it's 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 a save in substance. We don't actually get the payoff of, like, Abyss chokeslamming Magnus and Bram. So Magnus and Bram run away, living to fight another day after essentially having the odds on Gunner, Anderson, Sam Shaw, and then Abyss. Those four guys couldn't get the job done. Fucking nuts. I, I really hated that. Uh, I'm a little more cursy than usual today, just because there's like there's stuff that I like and there's stuff that I do not like at all. And we're back. Hi, Cody. Hello. All right, we had a little bit of technical difficulties there. So here's where we'll pick up. Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer are backstage. Oh, God. Uh. Bully Ray is telling Tommy Dreamer, I can't sleep. I got to hurt women. I'm losing <laughs> sleep because I need to hurt women so much. Oh, I just, just have to hurt women. Everyone, everyone wants to see me hurt women. You understand? I made a promise to people that I am going to hurt women. So I got to do it. And I'm the baby face in this 
program, <laughs> which I guess technically is because Dixie wants to kill him. Isn't she a grandmother? <laughs> yes. Yes. I... Mm, I don't... Whatever. Fucking Dixie. Like, fucking bully. Fucking this this entire program. Hey, what, this is... what, what was Tommy's uh, shirt? What... Oh, more House of Hardcore with his House of Hardcore it, pants you, hiding his beer gut. that shirt? Another House of Hardcore <laughs> shirt. I only wish that he came out in a mask, that he was like, you know, the great dreamer, and he has a mask that says House of Hardcore, like the letters, like H-O-H is on the mask. I, and then Devon ends the thing by saying, oh, my brother testify, because Devon's excited about hurting women. What the fuck is wrong with these guys? What the fuck is wrong with these guys? All right, so we get an Aries video package. Aries says during this video package, one of my favorite lines, seems like every year, every time at this year, or every year at this time, I get my hands on this title, which is a great way for TNA to spotlight the fact that they lazily book the Destination X pay-per-view every year. Way to spotlight the trope, guys. So, Aries comes down to the ring, or Angle comes down to the ring first. Angle is not moving well. Uh, Angle, I don't need to see Kurt Angle in the ring ever again. His back looks stiff. He's doing high fives and reaching out to people, and it's just real herky-jerk. Uh, I will say this. Kurt Angle doesn't have cheat sheets this week. I'm guessing the pain pills are not fucking with him as much as they had been in the last episode. And Aries comes out to the ring. He goes, you know, it seems like a foregone conclusion what I'm going to do. Well, yeah, Austin, you've been telling us exactly what you were going to do for a long-ass time here. And then Bobby Lashley and MVP interrupt. They come down to the ring. We get MVP talking up Bobby Lashley, telling us how impressive and awesome Bobby Lashley is. We get establishing shots from the side of Bobby Lashley's head, which spotlights how small Bobby Lashley's ears are in context with his head. I'm just saying, like, just I have that as a note here, but I, his ears are noticeably small, Cody. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the promo from MVP is good. There's a weird meta line from MVP during this promo where he talks about Austin Aries saying that um, he says that Austin Aries says that he was sent home by MVP, and that's revisionist history, which is actually true. Because MV, or Austin Aries was having issues with the company and they weren't seeing eye to eye in the direction of his program. So, retcon. I know, yeah, real, real weird retcon. And, he, you know, he wasn't at those tapings. And they're doing that with Bo- uh, Bobby Roode as well, where they're just like, you have me suspended. More retcon. Doesn't actually make any sense. But hey, whatever. You do, do what you got to do. Bobby Lashley says his first line in weeks and weeks and weeks. Did you catch it? No, uh, what was it? You just made the biggest mistake of your life. It's actually pretty good. I, I like it. Bobby Lashley sat there, listened to Austin Aries, get in his face. There was one thing that I really liked, small stuff, but it was just good. Austin Aries is putting his finger up at Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley just puts his hand out and pushes the finger down. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so I, I, I think that the way they've been booking Bobby Lashley has been pretty solid, man. You have MVP come out and talk for this guy. This is yet another guy who's talking about who's maybe a four out of five tool guy or a three out of five tool guy. He's got the body. He's got the look. He's got the... Um, MMA and wrestling pedigrees. He's got the WWE pedigree. But yeah, Bobby Lashley is not necessarily the greatest worker in the ring. Bobby Lashley is definitely not the greatest talker in the company. But it doesn't mean that he can't be credible in the ring and put over well by MVP. 
This is TNA doing a really nice job picking up spare pieces. And Bobby Lashley is a guy that you could argue that WWE left money on the table with. I feel like... He, I don't know how much they're paying him. I feel like Bobby could have been the champion, like the WWE champion. At some point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he had, he had that match with... Uh, Oh, he was involved in that whole uh, hair shaving thing with Trump and Vince at some point. Right. Which, right. You know how Vince's ego works. He thought that was the, his main event. You know, so if he's picking Bobby, he, I mean, Bobby had a great match with uh, HBK. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to have a bad match with Shawn Michaels, but he, I don't know what the whole circumstances was. I believe it was another one of those cases where it was like with MVP, he just got tired of the bullshit. That black wrestlers face, especially in WWE, and just decided, ah, fuck this, <laughs> and I'm gonna go. Well, do you know, thing. hey man, it's a new day in WWE with black. Yeah, actually, Bobby Lashley had a lawsuit against WWE claiming racism, but it's totally a new day at WWE. Uh, they they're gonna have uh, the Black Shield. No oh, man, it's the new nation of domination, and I'm actually kind no, of. No, they're the Black Shield. Uh, they're the Black Shield. I'm really stop we're, it. Let me we're hope. In the swamp Let here. me hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing with that. I, I, I'm very confused by that storyline. I wonder how much of it is an answer to that article that was written in the Atlantic. It was Vince's about, idea, so I believe it was probably 100% that. Yeah, I'm sure he read that article in the Atlantic. You know what's funny about that article in the Atlantic is that even though that guy who wrote that doesn't like watch a lot of wrestling, like I could kind of tell he doesn't watch a ton of wrestling, I didn't disagree with most of what he had to say, and I thought that most of his analysis was spot on. And it was just kind of, it's just kind of dismaying would be the way that I would, would frame it. Just disheartening that like black wrestlers don't get the respect that they deserve in that company by a lot. Kofi Kingston's a good work rate guy and can't get a serious character or a serious gimmick or anything. And he's got a great theme song. This is a guy who could be an upper mid-card talent, really kind of gunning for, you know, the IC belt and stuff with occasional, having occasional good rub matches with uh, with the world champion, you know, with Randy Orton and that sort of thing. I mean, we saw that. We've seen Randy Orton, the champion, have good matches with Kofi Kingston. They just don't fucking mean anything. Yeah. It's, I mean, Kofi Kingston beat the sitting champion in a non-title match, albeit, but, like, beat the sitting champion clean earlier this year, and here he is searching. Biggie was Intercontinental Champion, and he's searching. The WWE has never had a straight-up 100% black or, you know, not someone who fully identifies as black champion ever. No. And TNA is sitting on a current black world champion. There, there are real differences in this company. It's, it's weird. Even with the stigma that Vince Russo has for being racist against Japanese people and black people which he faced a large lawsuit from. A lot of wrestlers suing companies over racism is uh, basically the story of wrestling, if you were curious. So, Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell, there's a nice package made for this match that made this match feel meaningful. Like, we were going to get something special, and it started off with the sort of evenly matched feeling out dynamic. And we got into a Taryn Terrell control section where she did a fisherman hook suplex, which I'm a big fan of all things fisherman hook, and hits a swinging neck breaker, which was clearly a bit confused because of the six-sided ring. 
Taryn had never really worked in the six-sided ring. I don't know that she's worked in the company since they've been six-sided or since the last time they were six-sided. Because in that video package of the two matches with Gail Kim, those were both in four-sided rings. But we don't really get much more than that because the beautiful people run in. Uh, Velvet Sky has misfit trunks on, which is kind of cool. I'd, I'd, I'd give it up for that. And uh, they run in and beat the shit out of uh, Taryn Terrell and Gail Kim. So next week you're going to get Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell versus the beautiful people, which is not the match that everyone wants to see. But, hey, you're getting it again. And this is one thing I actually kind of like about TNA. Their women are all uh, – I'm going to try to find a way to say this properly without – something sexist or anything because i don't mean it that way at all their women are different builds i guess you could yeah builds i think is the best way to say that they're all different they're not the freaking barbie doll come to life that wwe like seems to demand a lot of their women be you know they're not I think you see that with like Summer Ray, Naomi, Cameron. They all just seem to have like a similar look and build. Paige and AJ are the only ones that are, you know, they're smaller than the rest. And with TNA, like you have all these women and everything, they just seem like different built and everything like that. And that's what I enjoy. It's like some of these, especially WD, they like insist on everybody having like the same look and everything like that, you know? And they're more they're more obsessed with look of wrestler than actual skill set and ability of wrestler. <laughs> Eva Marie, <laughs> and, 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 no, dude, honestly, Summer Rae. Summer Rae is a really good example. I think that she has gotten a lot further than her skill set would dictate she deserves. I if you watch the match between her and Charlotte this week, where the crowd completely turns on them, I don't blame that crowd. I know some people were upset that like there there were boring chants and shit like that. I guess I feel you on that to an extent, but uh, I'm going to grab my cat here. She was going to get on the keyboard. Uh, So I feel them to an extent on that, but, you know, here's the deal. That match was fucking boring. Summer Rae can't call a match, and Charlotte is still at the point where she can't call a match. And the only time she's had a real classic was with Natty. And Natty was calling that match. And Natalia's a really good wrestler. And I'm hoping she goes heel later this year. And we get Charlotte versus Natty. This time with Natty as the heel. And just a different dynamic between those two. Because WWE does have some good women wrestlers. But like they're sort of spread all over the card in the programs. So you've got like Paige... And you've got AJ, and you've got Emma. She's in the doghouse. Then you got the Funkadactyls. They're there. I know some people like Naomi. I just... Uh, when I see a good Naomi match, I'll like Naomi. How about that? Uh, Fox is good. I'd like to see Alicia Fox have more serious matches they've, than just... They've already thrown a cold blanket on her. Yep, wet blanket. Wet blanket on her. Like, she, I mean, they, she went from being Stone Cold Alicia Fox to... They even dumb. said Stone Cold. They even brought it up. Like, that was something that IWC brought up themselves. And then WWE, I think it was JBL or whatever, mentioned it. And then nothing. She had that one match. She had one match with Paige, and that was it. And it wasn't a bad match, either. Uh, it just... It's very frustrating. The problem with that match was that Alicia was more over than Paige. I'm hoping that this heel turn... 
will revitalize Paige because WWE has just epically mismanaged her. Uh, it, like, I, I don't know how you can have someone that talented who comes from a wrestling family and be searching as much as they seem to be searching with Paige. Just doesn't make a lot of sense, but that is definitely what's happening. Uh, so anyways... I, I this match could be good. I you know the next the match next week will be the match next week. I feel like I've already seen this match. I, I could go back through my notes here, but I feel like we've already seen Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell versus the Beautiful People. Maybe I'm crazy. I think we did. I, was that was that at Slammiversary? Did I see that live? I, be- I, I believe you might have. I might have seen that, that live. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, I we get. The Muda and Robbie E squash match, wherein Great Muda happens, is probably the best way yeah, okay. to put it that yeah. way. Let's skip this yeah. and get to the, the interesting part here. Uh, you don't want to talk about Muda's no-sell work? <laughs> no. No, I do not want to talk about any of that. I want to get to <laughs> James Storm. Please. Let's just... Hold on, hold on. Let me just <sighs> do a quick summary of this match, if I could, real quick. Muda gets put into the corner, gets hit a few times, doesn't sell it at all. Spits mist in Robbie E's face. Corkscrew elbow. Dragon screw leg whip. Shining wizard! And the victory. That's that's all, That's all. what you get. James Storm comes out. He's got a new little whistle thing. I like this whistle thing. I like this whistle thing a lot. And I know that I sound hot and cold on James Storm sometimes. I like him as a heel... I just think that like he needs to tighten up the performance in the the presentation a little bit, but I like the whistle thing. I like his fucking chip on his shoulder about how he built this company, and that's why he hates Muda. I thought that that did it did a lot to establish why James Storm is so upset about Great Muda, or why he's got this fucking hair up his ass about Great Muda, because it didn't necessarily make a lot of sense. It's that James Storm feels like he has been overlooked. It feels like he hasn't gotten his chance. Uh, and we get James Storm doing the beer in Great Muda's face, which was excellent. We have some guy who is helping Great Muda. He's his attendant. This is kind of a common thing in Japanese wrestling, but may have been weird for an American audience. Yeah, I was kind of confused by what that was all. A lot of times in Japanese wrestling, there's like um, when, when a babyface wrestles, he will be attended by someone. And they're usually their tag team partner or someone inside a stablemate. Like, uh, Ultimo Dragon used to have a guy who'd come out with him. I, I know that there's probably real pro fans who have a much better understanding of this already. But basically, it's like a heel manager. It's essentially he's accompanied by his friend. Uh, in this case, it's Great Muda's pupil, um, another guy. So, in Wrestle 1, I bet you we could probably find footage of Sonata coming out and serving the role that this guy, whose name I did not write down, but I know it started with a Y, like Urasoba. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy is essentially serving that role. James Storm starts attacking, Muda starts attacking the attendant, and then Sonata comes down, he has a chair, it looks like he's made the save, Muda poses, and then... Sonata breaks my heart, just like Seth Rollins did. Yeah, that, that's, that was one of the things I thought of. Is like That was a very Seth Rollins' turn. That's what I thought. And, and this is great. I am very, very excited for this Sonata heel program. Sonata has the mist. He spits the mist. I mean, this is, this is so Darth Vader heel turn. Like, turning on the master and fucking using all the master's tricks on yep, him. Yep. I, like, 
great, great stuff. And now, and then at the end, I didn't like this. Sonata bows to Storm. I guess he is now going to be learning from James Storm. So hopefully we just get a really drunk Sonata here at some point. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Also, I don't know why I never noticed this before, but holy crap, James Storms is a big boy. Damn, yeah. that guy is big. Like, I don't know if it was just the fact that Sonata's frame is so slim and everything like that, but seeing them two, like, standing next to each other and everything like that, I was like, damn, he's huge. Sonata's not a small guy either. Sonata, for an X Division slash cruiserweight guy, he really does, like, in basketball, you'd call him a swingman. He sort of occupies, like, right in between a X Division slash cruiserweight slash juniors guy and a heavyweight guy. I like Sonata. I think this guy has a lot of mileage. I'm very excited at the prospect of him being with the company longer because I think if you can just protect this guy, this is yet another guy who's not a five-tool guy, four-tool guy, can do everything but talk. Fine. You just have him have a James Storm, have him have an MVP. Like, if MVP decides he's done with Lashley, I wouldn't mind seeing MVP manage Sonata. You can do lots of different things with this guy. You just have to have someone speak for him. That's fine. I want to see more of Sonata. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the dynamic that Sonata and Storm are going to establish as a tag team, too. I think we're going to see some really nice combination spots between them. So, so what were you going to say? Who does Muda have a tag match against Sonata and Storm? Like, who would be... Muda's partner. It may very well be that guy from Wrestle One who we saw. Oh, we saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it could very well be him. We could be trying to establish him. That may be the program. That or may, that may be part of what this program is intended to do: establish yet another Japanese guy in TNA as the growing relationship between Wrestle One and TNA builds because they have uh, Bound for Glory finishing up in Japan. So you're going to get more of those. And if I can just plug real quickly for DNA's sake, if you haven't seen the Global Impact thing, we're going to do a review on it at some point. But the Global Impact taping that they did in Japan back in March or April is actually quite good and quite entertaining. And if you're someone who wants to get into Japanese wrestling, wants to see some Japanese wrestling, but one of your hang-ups is that there's not English commentary and someone breaking it down for you, I actually found this to be as good of a vehicle as anything I've seen this year. So I want to mention that because I, I really liked it. I, th- I thought that Sonata and Aries had a really good match in there. There's a whole bunch of Daniels and Kazarian and Chris Sabin too. So you get to kind of look back at the guys who used to be with the company. Some of our legends who we miss. Um, it's weird to say Sabin as a legend, but like certainly Daniels and Cass. And I like Sabin. I thought he had tread left on the tires for sure. All right. We get Dixie talking. Um, she's got King Mo, and you know that King Mo is tough because he can intimidate the shit out of Jeremy Borash. Take that, guy. You're 40. You can't even fight me. I'm going to yell at you and put my fist in your face. To be fair, then we, get, we could intimidate Jeremy Borash. I, well, uh, that's your point. Your cat. Yeah, my, you know, Hazy, Hazy yells pretty loud. So <laughs> I know. I mean, I've heard her. <laughs> Yeah, she'll, she'll be on this podcast at some point. Maybe not this episode, but soon. For the rest of your life, eventually she will get her way on. And we then kind of uh, settle into your main event, my hardcore schmoz fest, oh, wherein 
I, I like. I don't even have notes on this match. These are like this is good. What Jr. would call trash can wrestling th- or garbage thought, can wrestling. I got nothing. I thought I was watching uh, one of the Raws from uh, 2013, uh, right after SummerSlam with the Authority crap. I thought that's oh. It's, you mean those classics between Dolph Ziggler and Damian Sandow? Oh God! Oh yeah, with the with the the, the drum set and the guitar. Yeah. Oh man, oh. that fucking Memphis uh, Memphis Land match or whatever the fuck they called it, the Memphis Street Fight, where in in Memphis there's apparently just instruments hanging out all over the place. I need to get me over to Memphis, but. Yeah, it's EC3, Rhino with no microphone, goddammit TNA, and Spud versus the Dudleys and Dreamers. They had a match. Snitsky runs in. Ezekiel Jackson runs in. Um, I have a note here. Could these guys be another tag team? I mean, if, if you look at it, I, you just you go through this show here. At the end of this show, now you have Sonata and Storm officially together as a unit. You've got the Snisky and Ezekiel Jackson. I don't know the long-term plans for the company with them, but I'm assuming certainly that they'll be at the next set of New York tapings. Uh, and just, it's interesting to me. They've got a very, very dense tag team division if they, they choose to do it. Everybody does a rock bottom in this show. Uh, I have this as a note because earlier in the show, we, we saw Magnus debut his new finisher. Did you catch that? Uh, was it a rock bottom? Um, it's a, essentially a back body drop into a rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Spine Shaker. That's apparently, they fucking had all week or weeks on end to come up with a name, and that's what they came up with. Spine Shaker. <sighs> Damn it. It shakes, your, it shakes your spine. Damn it, Russo. I, like, I, I don't even know that that's a Russo <laughs> thing. I don't know. Who, I, whoever we the fuck came up with that. for everything. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't see why we couldn't parlay that into a Fire Russo argument. But I'm just I'm just saying, I don't know that that is the case. Do you think, I know how you feel about this pay-per-view and everything, because we talked about it before. Do you think they could try to find, although actually their WWE probably has their own little answer to this that they would probably, TNA could probably crib from, but basically War Games. Since we have all these tag teams and... They seem to kind of be following along like lines, like where you could see like these teams teaming up for an alliance and everything. Do you think TNA could try to find a way to get all these teams together and make your main event or co-main event some type of big tag team battle? You know, like a War Games or like a Survivor Series style thing. I would very much be in favor of that. I, I think that that's probably the way to go i i think i don't you know the problem with the war games though in this new world of tna is that they got a six-sided ring so you'd have to build a second six-sided ring yeah yeah i don't know i think logistically that could be tough and presentationally that could be tough i would love to see wwe bring back war games but i think that they well i know that vince has just a secret hatred of dusty Rhodes. And everything that Dusty Rhodes is, does is awful, as far as Vince is concerned. So, I don't know what that is. I don't like. I really wish the McMahons and the Rhodeses would patch things up because it turns out that the the Rhodes. I don't know if you knew this. They're apparently pretty good wrestlers. I, it's it's just a damn shame that you know everyone has to be saddled with fucking goofiness. And, you know, Dusty had to be put in polka dots. 
Gold Dust had to go through ridiculous and humiliating gimmick shifts after his initial run as Gold Dust. Like when they had him as the Intercontinental Champion having matches against Savio Vega and everything early on, that was one thing. But man, Cody. 1999, 1998, Goldust, it got silly. And then eventually he was in WCW, and they even did a parody of how silly his gimmick had gotten. He debuted as this guy called Seven. And it it is, if you've never seen this, it is one of the most ridiculous entrances ever. He comes in suspended like, like an angel, like brought in on a zip line to the ring. In like all, like, I'll just have to dig it up for you later here. It's just truly a bizarre thing. And I, I don't know. It was a classic Vince Russo work shoot. It's, Everyone loves it. It's those. when I hear stuff like that, that I look at you Attitude Era fans and just say, what the fuck was so special about that era? Because my exposure to Goldust, honestly, has been his current run. I saw maybe a match with Goldust back in the old days, like on a pay-per-view at some point that I watched when I was younger. And my whole exposure to him has been since he's come back. And I think that has been great. But then I hear like all the other crap he did. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> you know what made the Attitude Era great? I, I mean, like, I, obviously this could be a whole different show. Um, but... One of the things that I think made the Attitude Era great that has made this era kind of, like, unpalatable in many ways is that everything, all the wrestlers on WWE are so heavily scripted. No one is just working from within their character and saying what their character would be saying. And one of the things that you get on Impact, which is so refreshing, is just guys like MVP who know their character and know their character's motivations well enough that they that they're able to just do a promo and be themselves or be their character. The the Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy aren't going out there and delivering all these different lines. They're just going out there and being themselves. Like Jeff Hardy seemed very natural tonight. You may disagree with some of the approaches with his character, like some of the inner strokes of the promo or whatever, but the point is is that like Matt seemed natural and comfortable, and if he had to try to remember a shitload of lines, that would be a ham-handed, you know, shit fest, and no one wants to watch that. I with WWE, man, uh, Kofi. I watched an insert promo going into that Intercontinental Battle Royal thing, where you can actually see Kofi reading the cue card. It was during a match. And you can see his eyes, like he, you know, just doing a direct into the camera thing. And you can see his eyes trailing the card, going back and forth, going back and forth, just reading the lines. There's something really dispassionate about that. And in the Attitude Era, Stone Cold Steve Austin came out, and he was unscripted. And you didn't know what he was going to say. And that's what made the Attitude Era great. You didn't know if some jack-off was going to try to run into the ring tonight. And it's another one of those things like in TNA, since, like you said, a lot of these guys are just saying stuff. It makes, when the scripted people come out and say stuff, it makes that so obvious. Case in point, Dixie Carter. Everything she's done has not been her. It hasn't worked. It's even the uh, Tommy Dreamer, Bully Ray, and Devon and everything like that. That it that didn't work because they don't really want to hurt women. 
they're probably really nice guys. They really don't want to put Dixie through the table. And it just it, it doesn't work. And Dixie, oh Dixie, just just please, please, with your what what do we call her little faction of guys there at the end? Well like what what Oh my god, that faction is little, little dude. That's like a six person faction standing at the end. <laughs> Let's, let's let's just recap the end of this show. The show ends after um, after EC3 gets yet another win and another pinfall victory with EC3, Rhino, Rockstar Spud, Ezekiel Jackson, King Mo, and Snitsky Jesus. all standing tall over the uh, dude. I mean, like, I like factions. I think it's good to have factions. And, I, and I'm, you know, again, these guys are hired guns, so I don't expect to see all six of them on the show at once. But Jesus Christ, six is probably too big for a faction. I think that five is probably the limit. And even five, that's like the heart foundation. Uh, if you're going to do something like that, you have to be really, really committed to the project of, like, threading that faction all the way through the upper and lower card. Like the heart foundation, Owen Hart. British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil, they were always involved in some sort of angle happening in the middle of the card, and Brett was involved in something at the top of the card, and Pillman would be in there as well. I, I don't know how they're going to use this Dixie faction, because at this point, the belt is on a heel. Like, it would make more sense to have this six-person faction uh, if Eric Young was still your champion, and Dixie Carter was just obsessed with fucking sabotaging Eric Young. That'd be great. Have Snitz have Eric Young have to somehow overcome Snitsky, have to somehow overcome Ezekiel Jackson, have to somehow overcome Rhino, and have it all build up to Eric Young versus E or EC three. That would be great. EC three is undefeated. Eric Young keeps slaying giants. Who's gonna win? And then have EC three go over. Yeah. I, I did one of the things I did like about this whole little thing at the end was Rockstar Spud doing the Dean Ambrose style selling death at the end, where they're freaking dragging him up by his arm and his head and everything. He's just completely out of it. I did kind of get a chuckle at that because and it's People also love Spud it, as small as he is compared to all those other big boys they had there. That was pretty funny too. The dude that's what makes it so great, was a man. Toothpick. He was a toothpick. Compared to like Snitsky and some of those other guys, that especially Rhino, God. I actually felt like Snitsky was the person who I was like, man, I guess I forgot how huge you were, bro. Yeah, because yeah. like, man, when he had Bully Ray up for that choke slam, like Bully looks small, and that <laughs> choke slam looked like it had some serious elevation. Like we saw a bunch of choke slams in this show, like or like attempted choke slams and shit in this show, but like Snitsky's far away the best looking one out of all of those. Looked- I-, I mean. I like it. I like having them there. I mean, I like the idea that, you know, maybe it's going to be Bobby Roode and Eric Young, yet another tag team, uh, or a credible tag team at that, that will be in the mix. Like, here, let's just, like, before we end the show here, let's, like, run down all the tag teams. So we've got Bobby Roode, Eric Young. We've got maybe Snitsky and Ezekiel Jackson. That's two. We've got Storm and Sonata. Yeah, that's, that's three. We've got um, Bram and Magnus. That's four. We've got the Wolves. That's five. We've got the Hardys as six. We've got uh, the Dudleys as seven. Um, who, I feel like I'm missing one here. I feel like I'm missing one here. Uh, I mean, I guess technically you could have Bobby Lashley and Kenny King as a tag team. I mean, I don't MVP think they're going to put... Kenny King. 
Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't think that they're gonna put. I don't think that they're gonna put Lashley in, in 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 a tag program at this point. But you've got that. Um, although, actually, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to having Lashley carrying around two belts. I think that that might be a way, a strong way. Oh, you know who I forgot? The bromance yeah. that brings you to eight. Gunner, yeah. Gunner and Shaw. Gunner and Shaw, yeah, or Gunner and Anderson. What, however, that program pans out, that brings you to nine. I mean. That's pretty good, man. Like, they, That's they've got a lot of depth. roster pretty much split up into tag teams, leaving a few guys on the periphery to fight for, like, the the main title, you know? And Yeah, and there's also the menagerie, too. Don't forget yes, about them. them too. Like, yeah. yeah. So you could have Crazy Steve and the Freak, or you could have Nux and the Freak, or, you know, any, any one of the variations of the menagerie. So that gets you up to 10 tag teams. Uh, what I would love to see this company do, especially now that you've established so many of them, Let's have a tournament. Let's get eight of these teams into a tournament building into an event in a couple of months or in a month or so for a tag team title shot. So you have the Wolves. Set them aside. Have the Wolves have a program with someone or other during the interim, whichever team you choose not to involve in this tournament. And let's have a big fucking tournament. That's that's what I'm saying, man. Like, that's what I want to see. Yeah. But, you know, that's just... That's just one reporter's opinion, Cody. That's just one reporter's opinion. All right. We, I don't, I didn't check the mailbox. We're not checking the mailbox. Hey, people, send me Twitters. Call into the show. Do something. Or don't. I don't care. I don't care. We'll just cut that segment out. But, uh, you know, this show is supposed to be interactive. And theoretically, it would be nice to hear from fans or people who are listening to the show. But, you know, if you're, if you're not listening to the show, then you wouldn't know that. So, anyways, there is a line. Um, I don't even have the number up right now, so fuck it. Figure it out. Or email me or Twitter me. If, if you want to listen to another episode, I do this fucking plug at the end of Voices each one. Voicesofwrestling.com. There you go, folks. Go to Voicesofwrestling.com. We, we have lots of great content up there. I'm sure the guys will have something up sooner rather than later about the G1 tournament that's going on. There's some good stuff going on in there. Man, I uh, watched that Okada match the other night. That was, that was good. I liked that. All right, um, Cody, you got any plugs? Nope. All right, I got none of the plugs. Follow me at Chris Novembrino at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O and keep being true to yourself. I am the streets. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.